Hey guys, given the nature of this content, how current of affairs it represents the fact we had the interview less than 24 hours of when it's being released right now, the typical sound engineering and editing that goes into these episodes wasn't all implemented on this one, but it certainly won't take away from the conversation, I can assure you that. So it's Mark Turnage. A guest you'll hear more about here in a second. He's been on this podcast once before. Anyway, he was just in Charleston this past week, hanging with Pastor Greg at the retreat at Church Creek for Pastors. Mark arrived back at his permanent residence in Israel right before all hell broke loose. And you'll hear his take on the current climate of Israel. But most importantly, you'll hear in real time our brother being able to share his broken heart that's still in a bit of shock due to the gravity of the situation that they're all in over there. He's not able to be with his wife right now, who has been in a location where danger was way more imminent. Uh, Pastor Greg is a part of this conversation as well, and I believe listening, you will be pastored alongside with Mark and myself, especially Mark, uh, considering the circumstances that he's in. Thanks for listening. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? Okay, that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As, a, as an individual or as yeah, a podcast? Yeah, as a person. No, person. I like you. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed a Nebuchadnezzar statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. Hey, Mark. This is Greg. How you good doing? To hear, good to hear your voice. I'm I'm good. That I, you're the you're the one I'm concerned about. <laughs> I, I'm, well, I'm well embodied. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, Mark, we'll just jump right in, and you let us know if. You know, I, I have no idea like your current circumstances or anything like that. So, you know, let us know if we need to pause or anything like okay. that. But um, I will just say for the listenership that Mark has been on this podcast before on episode 53. And ever since Pastor Greg has been taking teams to Israel from Seacoast, it's been Mark leading those tours through his organization and we'll have all that information in the in the show notes but mark i'll just start by asking like why why are you currently or or, or, and maybe maybe this isn't completely accurate but i've texted back and forth some why are you safe right now because we'll get into a little bit as far as how a lot of your family including your wife is is not uh they're in great peril so why are you safe? What's the geographical deal here? So I'm currently located in the north of Israel, and um, uh, everything that's happened, the attack on October 7th, um, what's going on right now uh, with uh, the rocket fire and so forth, um, that primarily is targeting the south of the country. and the center, which the center is, you know, kind of the, the coastal area from the south a little bit north. But um, 
where I'm at is, uh, I mean, just to put it in, in perspective, if I were to get in a car and drive from where I'm at to, to Gaza, it would take me about three hours. Um, so that's, uh, that's what at least, you know, has, uh, meant that I have been safe, uh, during, during what's been going on the last couple of days. Yeah. Well, Mark, you were, you were just with me at the retreat at church Creek. What a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. A week ago. A week yeah. ago. Yeah. And so, um, when did you get back into Israel? I left the States last Thursday uh, and arrived here on October 6th on Friday. Oh, my so, goodness. So um, I got, yeah, I got I got home from the retreat and uh, uh, on, uh, uh, it been Saturday, had a few days at home and then flew out Thursday, so. Golly. And the, and the attack happened on Saturday. And you the got, attack you, happened Saturday morning. And you Friday. got in on Friday, did you say, or Saturday? Yeah, I got in Friday morning. Oh, so. my goodness. And they've nice. shut yeah. the airport down, haven't they? Uh, um, they're well, shelling no, the... the... The airport is still open, and the airport is, it really? is still... Okay. It is, but the, the problem is, is that a lot of the uh, American airlines, like Delta and American and United... Um, have suspended flights here, as have a lot of the European carriers. Mm-hmm. Um, the Israeli airline El Al is still flying out. Um, I was working uh, actually today um, to get a group of people out of the country um, of about 19, and, and they'll successfully be able to leave tomorrow. So, hmm. yeah. Mark, can you take us through a, a real personal timeline as far as how all this played out with you? Like, when did you first know stuff was happening? How did things unfold as far as being in touch with your wife and, and her situation? And then I know that there's been some really heavy things that have happened where your wife and her family are at. If you could just take us through that timeline. Well, I mean, pretty much from waking up on Saturday morning, um, it was, it was there. It was out there. It was, um, uh, known it was in the, it was in the news already. Um, and I was, I was getting, uh, text messages, um, you know, just kind of at first, um, obviously what, what was being reported was the, the barrage of rockets that were being fired into into southern Israel, and I like are there um, sirens going off, like you know the old school movies. The, like... There, the, there would be in the south of the country okay. and in those areas that were most affected, not not where I am. And so then, um, uh, reports started coming in from uh, uh, people of. Uh, actual terrorists having breached uh, and entered into southern Israel. And um, um, uh, my my wife's family is located in the south of Israel. And so she was giving me updates. But then also um, one of the one of the cities that uh, 
was really badly hit. Um, it's kind of between Gaza and Beersheba in the south. It's called Ophakim. Uh, it's where her brother lives. And um, the news here was not, I mean, it was relating, you know, very, very, very minimal casualties. But uh, I was getting uh, updates uh, via her uh, from her nephew who um, was talking about the street right in front of their house. Their house is right across the street from the synagogue there in Ophakim. Um, just being filled with corpses that had been shot. Uh, two houses down from them, uh, terrorists entered the house and uh, murdered the entire family. And then the one of the hostage situations, at least not that talking about those that were drugged back into Gaza, but uh, within a home, uh, two of them were on the um, uh, on, on the street that they lived on. So all of that was getting, so I would say by, you know, Saturday, um, the numbers that were being reported in the media, um, the sense was already, um, just based upon other contacts that I had, uh, and that were feeding me information in the area, uh, that, that probably the, the death toll and, uh, you know those the hostages that were were t- being taken back into um, uh, Gaza were much more than what was being reported, and you know even as recently as today, uh, the death toll continues to rise, as does the number of hostages uh, that are, are not. You, uh, when when I talked to you, I think it was maybe it was Saturday. Um, it all goes together right now, but. Uh, <laughs> The, the numbers we were getting were like 200 uh, right. dead. And you were saying, oh, no, there are cities there where there are 200 dead in the, the yes. villages and the cities. And that has borne itself out. Um, uh, yeah, just a horrible atrocity. And so you had uh, a brother-in-law living mm-hmm. right there. How, how did they, what did they do? How did they ab- avoid, you know, if, if the terrorists are, two houses down what how do you avoid that well actually um an rpg was fired at their house and um, oh my goodness luckily it didn't explode um mm-hmm. i don't i don't really know i haven't had the ability yet to kind of fully debrief on that situation um and um it's uh i mean it, 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 it Obviously, then those in the South were really not allowed out of their houses for days um, Mm -hmm. because there were still uh, terrorists in the area. But then you also still had, um, as is going on even right now, uh, extensive rocket barrages coming out of Gaza as well. And your wife was in another city. Uh, Yeah. And what was going on there? Um, there were, uh, again, terrorists on the loose, uh, as well as rocket fire uh, was coming from Gaza. Wow. Gosh. So I, I'm, you know, I, I'm not trying to be dramatic. It is a dramatic situation. Like you, like currently how things are right now, you're 
your wife and your family, they're not, they're totally not safe right now. I mean, they're in. I, I mean, I, I actually, I mean, the, the freshness of this, I just got a text uh, a few minutes ago that there is a massive attack going on right now in the south of the country. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Man. Mark, give not- us some per- perspective of. Uh, there, you know, we've say, taken several trips from seacoast. Mm-hmm. How cl- how close have we come to the area that is uh, under attack currently? So, I mean, there there have been rockets that fell in South Tel Aviv. There's been rockets that have fallen in the hills outside of Jerusalem. Um, but the other thing that I think. So the trips that we've taken where we've gone into the south, the area like Beersheba and the wilderness of Zin, uh, that's the area that uh, uh, where where seacoast groups would have been uh, closest Mm -hmm. to to that area now. And how 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 far would that be away from where some of what we're reading about is happening? So. Uh, you know, there were a couple times even where we stayed in a hotel in Beersheba. Right. And, um, you know, driving from Beersheba to, to, to the area of Gaza, I mean, um, it's under an hour. What would have to happen? Like, what are you guys listening for as, as far as when you get, when y'all would know that, that it's safe for a reunion? I mean, well, like, I mean, the, the, she- things would just have to cease like i mean because this, well, this could go on for a long time right yeah i mean the, the the plan was uh for her to move today but um that uh obviously is isn't happening right now so um it you know obviously you just can't take uh certain risks but uh she will be leaving there in um a day or so yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Tell people what your routine is on kind of on a, on the reg as far as when you're in America and when you're in Israel. You know, as Pastor Greg just said, I was just at the retreat and I got to say, and this is not just a, a, a plug for the retreat, man, I didn't know how much I was going to need that. Mm. Um, but uh, so I went to the retreat on, I actually flew out to Charleston on a Monday and on Saturday night, the Saturday before I had just arrived back from uh, three and a half weeks in Israel. And then I was at the retreat. And as I said, got home from that on a, on a Saturday and then flew out the following Thursday. And, um, I was, I'm scheduled to be here six weeks because, uh, my company was supposed to have, uh, you know, tour groups during this whole period of time. And obviously, uh, we're in the process right now of, of dealing with all of that, rescheduling, you know, canceling, doing all the things necessary with that. Um, and then I, what was my schedule then was come home for Thanksgiving, be home a week, and then come back here for um two and a half, three weeks and then be home over the Christmas holidays. And it's not always quite that intensive, but that's a fair um, kind of back and forth. Uh, I'm probably 
when you add it all up about six months here, six months in yeah. the United States. Yeah. So in, in America, obviously things have changed a lot since nine 11, but what's happening right now, at least for me, that's the furthest thing from my realm of possibilities. Like I'm, I'm not thinking, man, you know, I hope that something like this, you know, doesn't happen to today right. to this degree at, at this sort of sustained sort of uh, predicament is is this something that's always been in the back part of your head like when you're in Israel like hey some stuff like this could go down like well i mean my 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 lifetime experience with israel takes me back to the fact even when i was a, a masters and a doctoral student living here right and yeah um i was nearby uh in jerusalem my second semester here um, when a couple of suicide bombers uh, had an attack on a pedestrian uh, area in Jerusalem, uh, I also was here during what's called the Second Intifada. To I, I don't mean to say this flippantly or in a cavalier way, but it, it is it is always one of those things that hangs over because of the the issues and the tensions and 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 the problems that are here. And, um, but I think the thing, and, and I, and, and just talking with a lot of my Israeli friends, I think what I'm feeling, what they're feeling is just a numbness of this is unreal. And the, it's like a the worst nightmare that you can imagine and uh and so i i you know in the coming days and and years and so forth there's going to be you know inquiries and so forth trying to figure out what happened and where the the mistakes came and everything like that but um i definitely think that there was a um a lack of imagination to this degree, um, or at least an expectation that something like this could happen. So um, this far exceeds your experience of violence yeah. in Israel. Yeah, it, it, it does. And I think I, I was actually, you know, one of the things that's been amazing uh, to me personally and to my family has just been the number of, pastors that we know and, and Christian friends that we know that are reaching out and checking on us and, you know, just, um, looking in on us and praying for us and, and anything that we can do, we're here and so forth. Yeah. And that's really ministered a lot, but I was communicating with one of my pastor friends yesterday and I think the thing that has so overwhelmed me has just been the sheer banality of evil that has been um, put out there in the videos that the Hamas terrorists took um, of their own actions. Um, I think the only thing that I can remotely, at least in my own experience, and I'm not saying that this has these kind of atrocities haven't happened elsewhere, but 
I think the only thing that I can compare it to are seeing, you know, some of the black and white films that the Nazis took in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, um, recording their genocide. Um, and I shared with this pastor friend that I was texting with last night that for me, it there's a sense of um, just evil and I, I don't know how else to say it. And, um, and, and my kind of quip to him was, well, if I, if I didn't believe in the devil before, I certainly do now. And, um, but I, but I, so I, I, I say all that to just say, I think that, um, amidst all the other stuff that I've been around that has gone on, on here over the years, um, uh, that that's probably been the the most jarring. And I think the other thing that's been so jarring, um, not just for me, but for the Israelis was that the Israelis that I've talked to is just the way in which the attack was so coordinated. And all of a sudden these communities um, were um, under siege um, in just minutes. And so, um, yeah. And, and Mark, the, the, you know, the, the world right now, for the most part, and there are exceptions, uh, are solidly, you know, behind Israel and Israel's right to defend themselves and, and all of that. Um, and there are people protesting. Right. I get, I get. Um, that not everybody's going to see Israel in the same way. And right. there, there are, you know, uh, historically there's, uh, you know, there's political reasons why you would disagree with some things Israel would do. But uh, to rally behind evil, which is what you're talking yeah. about, I cannot imagine a political uh, scenario that would justify, um, uh, you know, uh, killing families, uh, taking hostages that, and abusing them, and, and you know, children and old people, and mm-hmm. all the things that we're seeing. Um, I know that there is a method to the madness, and I I, I fear that the world will lose their patience. When, you know, pictures of Israel defending themselves and what that really looks like. Uh, but I can't I can't imagine a political ideology that would uh, justify what's been done. I, I can't imagine it. Well, and the, I'll, I'll just say this. And I think that one of the problems right now, and I'm going to speak more to um, within the church. The conversation as it relates to Israel and Palestine and the Israelis and the Palestinians has become very binary. And much of what is happening currently and has been happening over the last decades, in many respects, is a reaction to the hyper-dispensationalism 
um, that you got, especially like in the 70s and the 80s and in the 90s and a lot of evangelical churches, which is basically, as you know, um, Israel's God's people. Israel fits into our eschatology. Israel gets a blank check to do whatever they want to do. And the pendulum swung now to the other degree, especially in, in among certain generations of, of Christians. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, I don't think, first of all, I would say a reactionary hermeneutic is never a sound hermeneutic. But even more than that, there's absolutely place where we can have honest and hard conversations about the realities of this land and the sufferings of the people in this land. There does not need to be blank checks given to either side. There does not need to be a love affair with certain leaders and and leaders of either side. But that's not today. And the thing that has really frustrated me personally has been even when you listen to the words of like many church leaders, it's we repudiate the violence, but, and there's no, but right now. No, there's no, but there's, we need to be evil. This is absolute evil. And And we uh, need to sit and mourn with those who mourn. Yeah. What what are some of the buts? Like what, what, how do, how do some people continue that statement? But you need to understand the context of what produced this, or you need to understand what is, you know, what Israel is doing to Gaza and on and on and on and on and on. And, and to me, there are places to have those conversations. Um, I would say often I don't find Western sources very sophisticated to have the the necessary nuanced conversations. And especially in our world today where everything gets boiled down to memes and tweets and so forth, mm-hmm. um, you really can't understand the, the complexity here. But to me, I look at it and say, where have we even as a body of Christ lost the ability to call evil evil mm-hmm. and not give caveats, not, you know, try and explain it away. Um, just like, you know, in this, this, um, you can edit this out if you want to, but what, what it reminds me of has been the, the response in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, well, all lives matter. Mm-hmm. No, no, there, there are places to have the bigger conversations, but when people are hurting, we need to hurt with them. Mm-hmm. We need to sit with those who are broken and hurting and not, and, and yeah, our hearts need to break for, you know, the innocent people in in Gaza that are going to suffer under what this attack is going to bring about, is bringing about, I should say. And not just hurt in word and through social media posts, but hurt by letting our actions mirror that. But, but again, I think that when you look at 
the films and the videos that Hamas posted and that they took themselves of these attacks, you're looking into the face of evil. And I, I, I just think that we have to call it what it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How does this, so from a historian standpoint, how does this compare with the last several decades of violence in the Holy land? It's much worse. Okay. Um, you had more Jews killed on October 7th, which of course was the last day of the uh, festival of Sukkot, which is called Simchat Torah. It's when in the Jewish calendar, you finish reading the Torah and you start reading it again. Obviously being on Shabbat, um, but more people died than more Jews died than any given day since the Holocaust. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, my it's, gosh. It's uh, in, you know, I, I hear a lot of people here starting to say it's the Jewish 9-11. And I understand why we say wow. that. And I kind of get it in a sense. I remember the day after or the day of and the day after 9-11 and all of that and how there was this sense of, oh my gosh, we've been violated. The world has changed, which it did. Um, but this is, um, somebody said yesterday that it's like 10, it would be like 10 9-11s in 10 different places all at the same time. Plus you have hostages and there's a whole Jewish thing around the care of hostages. And, um, and, uh, you've got the atrocities on social media that Mark's talking about. You have got an ongoing right now. I mean, it's not over. It happened on the seventh, but here we are a few days later, and it's still it's still on. And it's going to be a, a war in in in. It's already a war in the homeland. It's going to be a war um, that brings about a lot of things. Uh, this is huge. Yeah, it, it's it's huge. So, Mark, you and I have enough relational credibility for at some point to be like Joey. That's the dumbest question I've ever heard. <laughs> but before we get to some of those uh, questions, I, Fred had a, a, a question in, I, uh, in our chat. And for some people, maybe like, duh, but I, I'm, I'm thinking the same exact thing. He's wanting to know what prompted the attack. Is this, do we look at this as like an attack on freedom? Is this an attack? like the continuing war on the Holy land? Is this a hatred towards uh, the Jewish nation? Like what, what is, what's the core of, of the reasoning behind this? All right. So I'm going to give you what's going to be an unpopular, but honest answer because in the West, we tend to frame everything as freedom and in the in the new kind of narrative of the West, it's colonialism and versus decolonialism and, you know, the oppressed versus the oppressor and, and, and these kinds of things. But that's because in the West, we do not understand. And we, frankly, have reconfigured other religions to think about their religion the way we think about ours in Protestantism. I say all that to say this. When you read the charter of Hamas, they state unequivocally that their goal is to eradicate Israel as a Jewish state, mm -hmm. that they will establish an Islamic land from the river to the sea. And one of the things that I think this may not 
bring hope to the conversation, but I think it's very important for people to understand, even given the bigger context of the ongoing challenges um, between the communities here, because as Westerners, we often look at it and say, well, you know, why, why can't you just do this and do this and, and so forth? From its inception, Judaism, and I'm going to come back and answer that question, Joey, but I want to take you through this a second. Yeah, please. Judaism, going all the way back to its very beginning when we're talking about the Bible, is built around three ideas. One God, one people, one land. So the land is absolutely inherent in the idea of the faith. Even though Judaism has this diaspora outside of this land, every year at Passover for 2,000 years, what is said, next year in Jerusalem. So you can never disassociate Judaism from the land that God gave the Jews within um, the Jewish scriptures. Islam has a very similar ideology. But it looks a little bit different. And in Islam, you divide the world into two, two camps. The first camp is called Dar al-Islam, which is the world of Islam. That means any piece of soil on planet Earth where Islam has ever ruled is from that point to eternity considered Islamic land, and it's called Waqf. It's sacred land. Okay. If that land gets lost to Islamic rule, the assumption is that you will fight to restore that land to Islamic land because it's still Islamic land because you can't unwalk land. Okay. So one of the challenges just in general here, especially as both communities have become more and more religious, those central tenets of their theology get more and more entrenched. But when you read Hamas's manifesto, they're not a freedom-fighting organization, which is how some try and present them. They're not freedom fighters. They are they're representing this um, Islamic fundamentalism that believes that it is okay to any means necessary in order to reconquer the land that's been taken from Islam. And so that's what's really driving this. You know, if you even go back and look even at the history since the early 90s of the various attempts of, of peace between Israel and Pal the Palestinians, this is the, the rub that keeps causing both communities to to bang up against things, but that's what's driving um, these attacks is this is us not, we're not freedom fighters. They're not trying to set up a democratic, you know, Palestinian state in Gaza or in the West bank, or even from the river to the sea. They're trying to set up an Islamic land in this land that had previously been controlled by Islam. Yeah. Gotcha. 
All right. So one of my questions, I, I'm just so curious if I, I do think of scenarios, if this were to unfold in, uh, I mean, especially certain parts in America, but I'd say anywhere in America, you're going to have pockets of people who are like, get the shotguns out. Let's load them up. And you know the scenario with your brother-in-law where two houses down, I mean, if you look out your window and you see those people out in the street, there's going to be people shooting because it's like, hey, they're they're killing our neighbors. We have guns. We're civilians. We we got to take care of each other. What what is and we also know how hot of a debate gun ownership and and just the unbelievably horrible gun violence that we have in our in our country. It's a it's a problem. So there's a it's a very hot debate. But what's what's the policies in Israel? What's kind of the philosophy? Are there a lot of civilians that are are packing and are are, are any of them fighting right now? Um, typically, most Israelis are. It, it's much harder here for a private citizen um, to get a gun permit and to carry a gun. Now, that said, of course, um, the Jewish population of Israel, both men and women, have mandatory military service. Um, other of the minority populations in Israel also participate in that to some degree. Um, but one of the things that you've seen in the last, I would say, year or two, has been a rise in individual Israelis um, getting permits for um, uh, pistols and and things like that. Um, but in general, that is not the. Although they they have mandatory military service, they're not um, having weapons. Uh, within the home and and things like this, and I mean, so big difference. Between... Yeah, it, it it is a difference, and and you know, I, one of the things that was, you know, when we were watching the the news on Saturday and seeing some of these, you know, video images of, um, you know, these Hamas terrorists walking through the center of, you know, these villages and towns and everything like this um you know there for a while there weren't even police or army around and so um uh in general no i mean they the 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 people were not armed in a way to um protect themselves in in that manner yeah mark i i, I wondered um you know as we're talking about gaza a little bit and you know, it's it's already starting, and it will get it will get hot there as Israel um, does their best to eliminate uh, Hamas, which seems to be what's going to happen, rather than you know try to live with them. Um, I'm my assumption would be that there are a lot of people, or there are at least some people in Gaza that are terrorized by Hamas themselves. Uh, um, and, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and this is one of the things. So the Gaza Strip is not just a city; it's 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 uh, a strip of land, right, right on the Mediterranean uh, coast. Um, it is the most densely populated 
piece of land in the world. When you look at the billions of dollars that have been given by uh, governments, world governments, United Nations, to Hamas over the years, the um, average income of a person in Gaza is less than $2 a day. Now, one of the things that does not get out there often is there are many people living in Gaza who have work permits to enter Israel. Um, And they come out every morning and go to their jobs. They work in various jobs, uh, whether that's construction, whether that's working in farms, uh, other work. And then they go back every evening. Um, this idea sometimes that you hear that, that, and, and get the, the impression that Gaza is just this completely sealed off blockaded area, um, is not entirely true. And at the same time, what happens is because of the way that Israel's social security is set up, those people by coming in and working for Israeli companies actually get the benefit of Israel's social security as well. Um, Israel also sends um, daily and weekly um, food and aid into Gaza. Um, but um, Hamas is not, they're, they're not looking out for um, the people around. I mean, kind of the the modern history. So Israel had from 1967 until 2005 had had settlements inside of the Gaza Strip, right? Um, and in 2005, the prime minister of Israel at that time, Ariel Sharon, removed um, all of the settlers, forcibly removed them. And it was actually a very traumatic experience uh, for the settlers and and for some within the Israeli public. Um, In 2007, you had um, the, uh, these kind of elections ish in Gaza. And this is when Hamas took over. And the first thing that they did is they took the leader of Fatah, um, which is the Palestinian authority um, to the highest building in um, Gaza to Gaza City to see if he could fly and it proved that he couldn't and so this is one of the ways that they kind of took over things but I mean even when you look at the 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 establishment of their the rocket emplacements and so forth they put it next to hospitals next to schools um, these kinds of things and um, the the people inside of of Gaza suffer uh, incredibly, um, because yeah. of this situation, and in the days to come, because of some of the things that you said, that there there will be innocent people who will be affected, and uh, and they'll uh, lose. Some of them will lose their lives. They'll lose, unfortunately. lose their lives because of the evil that is there. Are there Christians in Gaza? Um, I I don't. That I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, I would, um, um, you, you definitely have Christian Palestinians in the West Bank. Yeah. Um, and I know that a lot of my, um, friends, Christian Palestinian friends have flat out told me that if 
Hamas ever gets control of the West Bank, they're leaving mm-hmm. because they understand what Hamas would would do to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark, I just have a couple more questions, and one of them is is geared more towards Pastor Greg. But for for you, is there a part of you this this just like man, uh, America help, <laughs> like do do something? I I don't know I don't know what could be done. To be to be honest with you, I mean, obviously, aid is being sent over both in terms of military. Um, um, munitions and 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 so forth to israel you know the united states has moved one of its major aircraft carriers uh not far off the coast uh of israel and i think that that's the intention there is to be more of a deterrent against uh hezbollah in iran um obviously i'm not a politician so i can't speak to what's what may be going on in the back channels and so forth yeah. I think one of the biggest problems, though, in, in some respects, because um, this is an issue that um, most Americans, whether they have thought deeply about it or not, have an opinion about. And I think that one of the problems that I find on both sides of the argument is a tendency to demonize the other side. And. Um, and not really understand, we process the issues very much in a, in a Western way um, where we can disassociate religion from our politics, or at least we attempt to or, or say that we can and so forth. And I think that um, the, the problem is, is when people try and sometimes wade into those waters, they, they, they don't do a a good job of really bringing clarity to the situation. And like I said, it becomes a very binary conversation. Either you're pro this or you're pro that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that, um, I think that's really problematic because, um, um, and I would say for me personally, I, I mean, I've been involved in I lived here seven years um, full-time, but I have um, been involved and spent a significant part of the last 26 years of my life here. And having very dear friends on both sides of this engagement, um, having people that I work with and that work for me that are on both sides of this engagement. Um, I think that um, the, the, the binary uh, kind of, way that we want to look at things uh often is not doesn't isn't helpful so that's why i'm saying in a in a in a roundabout way joey i don't i don't necessarily feel like calling in the western powers is is the way to to necessarily solve this yeah yeah can i can i say something there to clarify and i might be wrong but when you say, you know, there are two sides of the issue, I think you're, my understanding, we're, we're not talking about two sides of the Israel versus Hamas. We're talking about two sides of the Palestinian issue yes. there. Because there's not two sides in my brain to Israel versus Hamas. Hamas is evil, has done something awful. Doesn't mean all of the 
you know, the followers of, of Islam or Arabs or, you know, right. whatever are in a bad camp. Not, not at all. But th- this is a bad camp. This, this is evil. Yep. And uh, uh, so I, I just wanted to clarify. No, I would, I would absolutely agree with you on that, Pastor Greg. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate you clarifying that because, yeah, uh, typically when we talk about this, it's, uh, but unfortunately, what we're going to see in the coming days as Israel deals with this, um, you will see, you, you will see innocent people getting hurt mm-hmm. and suffering and, and, and so forth. And um, it, there's nothing pretty about, about that. And, no, but, and Hamas absolutely. Will- Hamas, Hamas will benefit evil. from from labeling that all Israel's deal, you know, and, and yep. there's an equivalency thing there. Yep. And uh, so anyway. No, absolutely. Well, Mark, even in times like this, hopefully we can smile and, and cut up a tad. So I, I, you want to see me get fired in real time, Mark? How I'm going <laughs> to ask this question to Pastor Greg. Pastor Greg, you've been praying longer than I've been alive. So, <laughs> when I, I am serious though, when you pray through situations like this, what what is where where do your prayers directed towards? Is it for peace? Is it for God just to stop all of it? Is it for protection? Like, what does Pastor Greg's prayers look like in situations like this? Yeah, I pray in every situation that God's kingdom come and His will be done. Sometimes I don't even know what that looks like. Wow, um, yeah. I, yeah, I would love to see innocent people protected. And there, there, are, there, are, there already has been and there will be more innocent people who will, uh, who will suffer in all of this. I pray for them. Uh, I pray that, uh, that evil will be defeated. Uh, you know, that's, um, I, you know, I, I believe that David did that in the Psalms and, mm-hmm. and I do, do pray for that, uh, and, uh, pray for wisdom, uh, for Israeli leaders, protection for Israeli people and for, uh, people that live in Gaza who are being terrorized by Hamas. That's why I asked that question. I kind of thought I knew an answer to that, but it's not all bad people down there, but there are going to be good people that are going to be, uh, impacted by the evil that has been initiated that will need to be dealt with. And I pray for the hostages. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and the families and the grief. You know, there's a word that I learned over in Israel from my friend Ilan, who works with you, Mark, uh, mm-hmm. when he lost, I, I believe, his mother. And uh, the concept of sitting Shiva, uh, which is kind of how I feel right now. I one of my good friends here in Charleston, uh, Rabbi uh, Yossi Revson, uh, who is rabbi of a congregation here in in um, Mount Pleasant, and I'm going to be with him on Thursday. He's asked me to come uh, to a vigil uh, in the Charleston uh, city uh, headquarters, whatever. And uh, my my response is, I come to sit Shiva with you. You are hurting. Uh, I don't know that I have the right things to say. I'll probably say dumb things if I do, but I just want to be there. And it, that's kind of how I feel, Joey, about this whole situation is I just want to be there in the grief of um, people who are suffering. And God, your kingdom come, uh, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Yeah. Mark, before 
I asked Pastor Greg to pray over this situation. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about or educate people on or anything like that before we wrap up? Um, I, I would just, first of all, echo everything that Pastor Greg said. I think, I think that I think we need to push back from our TVs maybe a bit and um, just simply sit with those who are grieving right now and, and, and not try and make moral equivalencies or anything like that. But I, I think that um, we need to, and even if, you know, even if you don't know a, a Jewish person, because I guarantee you when you look at the anti-Israel rallies, that are going on all over the world, even in the United States right now, that um, Jewish people aren't feeling very safe. Mm-hmm. And and I think that to just say, there's nothing you, we can say, but just to sit and, uh, and, and weep with those who weep. And um, all the conversations that we want to have ideologically, those can come later. Um, I, I think that, um, I I would also just caution and I'll say this in this way as well. I, I, and I may, this may get me fired, Joey. (laughs) So we may, we may be tag teaming here in a minute. Who who fires Uh, you? (laughs) uh, Say it like this. Biblical prophecy was always prophetic in, in the rear view mirror. And I think that we need to also be very careful about looking at this situation and trying to read it into our views of the end and things like that as well, because that equally diminishes the 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 suffering and the sorrow that's here. Um, and and I I would just also caution against that. I would I would caution well-meaning people who love Israel, who are believers, from trying to turn this into somehow something Christian, if I can say it that way. One of the things that historically Jews have experienced from us is not having the ability to trust. And we just need to show up and shut up and um, Mm -hmm. let our tears do our speaking. Yeah. Well, Pastor Greg, why don't you pray for our friend Mark and his family specifically, and then just for this whole situation altogether. Thank you, Mark, so much, man. I know that this is a tough time to get on here and podcast, but we do love you. The chat is full of, we're praying for you, Mark. We love you. I know the Israel team that came and hung out with you last year, same sentiments. We really do love you. Well, I love you guys too. Let's pray. God, we are so grieved right now. My soul has been grieved since the news early Saturday morning of just what has gone on. And uh, God, we pray for those who grieve and we sit with those who grieve. And God, I, I, uh, I grieve with a, with a nation, if that's possible, and with individuals within that. And God, I pray right now for those who have lost loved ones in this, Lord, that your comfort would come. And God, I pray for those who have been captured, that uh, there would be a sense of peace in the place of fear. 
And uh, you're able to do uh, things that seem impossible to us. Uh, you can bring peace that doesn't make any sense in, in spite of circumstance. And we pray that that would happen. God, I pray for that specifically with Mark and his family, his wife and extended family who are very much in the middle and involved in all of this. I pray for their protection and safety. I pray for their peace. Um, uh, pray for just all that 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 goes. God, I, I pray against the psychological warfare that the enemy would bring even in the horrific uh, postings to social media. And God, may, may we have a holy um, aversion to that. Uh, and uh, Lord, I pray for the uh, leadership in Israel, the leadership in the United States, the leadership in the world as they confront the evil that has been done. And uh, just pray for your wisdom in all of it. And um, we, we ask that you would ultimately um, turn it around for uh, your purposes, even though we know it's evil. We know we, 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 we get that. But Lord, we also ask that your kingdom would come in it, that you would do what you do best, that you would take uh, what is evil here and bring good out of it in some way. And Lord, in, 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 in your timing and in your season, we ask for that. But uh, we ask that your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.